This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm Mary Wilson. Robin Anderson may have the sweetest gig in academia, studying wildlife ecotourism, those tours and resorts that put people in close contact with wild animals. And what Anderson is studying is how to market that experience as an educational opportunity, one that turns holiday vacationers into lifelong environmentalists. And like any good research project, it requires some field observation. So to do the work, Anderson goes on vacation. It's a tough job, Mary, but somebody's got to do it. Where have you been so far? Specifically around the Caribbean, we've been to Africa uh, a couple times on safari, African uh, models are really interesting to look at because they've been doing uh, wildlife tourism for a very long time. As you probably know, everybody or m- many people have probably been on safari or know that you can go to Africa and see the big game in Africa now, and it's a way to preserve the animals there. So ecotourism is, you know, when you say, I want to swim with the dolphins or go go swimming above a coral reef, or I want to see, as you say, the big game in Africa, and you want to know how we do this in a sustainable way that doesn't um, affect the environment in a negative way. Absolutely, Mary, because so much ecotourism is called ecotourism, when really they're just meaning nature-based tourism. You go to a beautiful, pristine area, and you call that ecotourism. But many of the uh, tour guides and hotels and other places are not bringing t- tourists into these areas in a way that will sustain their businesses or certainly sustain the habitats uh, or the longevity of the animals or the pristine environment in general. You just got back from a trip to Aruba. You brought back all yes. this great tape about your trip there. What were you scoping out when you went to Aruba? One thing I was doing is, uh, there's a, as I said, there's a lot of claims to being an environmentally friendly lodge, uh, being an ecotourism site. Uh, it's called a lot of different things, ethical travel, travel philanthropy. So it, it's, un- it's under so many banners and has so many definitions that it's important to go check out a claim, right? So in Aruba, there is a movement toward more environmentally friendly and sustainable practices in the tourism industry and really by some local uh, tourism guides and local resorts. So I just wanted to see if this one particular one who has a reputation of being at the forefront of some environmental initiatives on Aruba, I wanted to check them out. I wanted to see what the best practices were, what was going on, and if it was legitimate. So you're kind of a vacationer's watchdog. Yes. uh, Well, we call that participant observation, and you have to go there and participate and lay on the sand, Mary. It's important. (laughs) So so you were in Tortuga? I was uh, talking to a local NGO with Tortuga Aruba, and they are trying to conserve... Uh, and actually bring back the the incredibly interesting leatherback turtles who come up onto this very beach where the resort is. Here's a clip from one of Anderson's recorded interviews with a beach habitat conservationist in Aruba. He's talking here about the tracks that a leatherback turtle makes in the sand. Yeah, but a leatherback makes a huge track because it's a massive animal. We're talking about females wading... 600, 700, sometimes 800 pounds. So there are really, really huge animals. And They need a lot of room, they need a lot of space, and they need a lot of sand. And that's what I was looking into, how exactly they managed to have this resort positioned right on this beautiful white beach, how the tourists can interact and uh, cohabitate, if you will, with the turtles. So how does it work? What do they do right? 
Well, it's really interesting what they do, right? They set back their their ha- their hotel building, one of their their newest ones. Uh, from the beach so that there's a long space of this beautiful white sand. As I said, these uh, animals are 500 pounds, and when they come up, they can dig a pretty deep hole, two and a half feet in the sand. And they're coming on the beach to lay their eggs? They are. And uh, so it is all about preserving the habitat. It's really important for them to lay their eggs uh, and then for the nests not to be bothered or harassed by tourists so that they can gestate and then hatch and then walk to the sea. They need to walk to the sea by themselves. And in doing that, they can find their way back to nest again. So it's essential if you want um, them to be recurring to, to that particular habitat to, to let them go through that process. So if, if the goal is to um, make sure that adult turtles can come lay their eggs, what are some of the little things that you wouldn't maybe think of that could really that could that could really interfere with that process. You were telling me about the lights oh, of the hotel. So many things. So, so many things. Uh, you can you can imagine that uh, tourist interaction with this process is very problematic. And so conservationists and and resorts are really trying to figure out how, how to make it work and and also how to make it pleasant for the tourists. One thing that's really interesting to go on site. Um, and we joke about going to these places, but it's really important to use it as a field site and talk to the people who have been working with tourists and see what they have learned. So many people say that tourists just want to be on vacation and they don't want to learn anything. People actually who work with tourists always tell me, and there's plenty of studies that show this, People who work with tourists say that they are really open to information, that they, that they gain more pleasure out of their experience, that they're willing to comply with what the animals need, and it really is kind of an educational process. So one of the things, for example, in the middle of the night when the, tur- when the turtle legs their eggs, they don't want them to click pictures. For example, that's they very don't want disturbing. Not the turtles to click pictures. The tourists. <laughs> the tourists. Okay. They don't want the tourists to click pictures, um, but the tourists actually, when a large animal like that is laying an egg, can can actually help because the turtle has to make its way back to the sea, and the babies have to make their way back to the sea. They go by light. Here's a clip from Anderson's interview with beach conservationist Edith Vanderwall in Aruba. She's talking about baby turtles, hatchlings, how they find their way back to the ocean. When the hatchlings come out the nest, they will turn towards the lights and not toward the sea because, yeah, in nature they, they go away from dark rocks and trees and then they find the most uh, visible place, the most uh, with the stars reflecting on the sea, they will find the sea. So it's the stars and moon that are that are um, reflecting off of the wave action that draws the turtle back to the sea. If you have a whole bunch of lights on the beach in the back, the turtles will go in the wrong direction. So if your resort is lit up for the night, if there are parties and people have their lights on in the rooms, that exactly. turtle isn't going to get to the ocean? Absolutely. It's not going to get to the ocean. Sometimes if you've actually... Um, brought some tourists to the spot to watch, they can form a line that blocks some of the light. Other planning aspects to to building on the beach where turtles come in is that you set the, the, the building back, but you also use low lights and you aim the lights in various um, ways that are uh, unharmful for what the, tur- what the turtles are trying to do. You said form a line, so you have these, you literally ask the tourists to come out and 
and and form a human line along the beach, right? To block, blocking the block light. The light. It could be fun to be environmental. You said what we don't want, what ecotourism is not, is a thrill ride into an animal's habitat. What's an example of a thrill ride? What's the nightmare scenario? Well, the other place I visited, which I really loved and it was very hard to watch, was Cabo San Lucas in Baja California, at the tip of Baja California in Mexico. And Cabo has been an, uh, a destination in the last couple of decades um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, changes in, in land ownership, Americans have been going down, lots of development. There's a beautiful bay in Cabo that's a multi-use bay that has sea lions uh, it has pelicans. It has a lot of fish. And in this bay, you've just got everybody in there. You've got the banana boats being towed r- at really high speeds. Uh, you've got glass bottom boats. You've got um, uh, people in rowboats. So it's, it's uh, one tour guide said this is the Wild West. There's actually no regulation. Well, there was a really nice colony of sea lions in the middle of this bay, and the banana boat was being towed, and a thrill ride was to whip the banana boat around and have it splash onto the sea lions. Apparently, you could see the sea lions, or or maybe not, but this was a kind of what we've identified as the action-adventure mode uh, of a natural environment, which, of course, is incredibly destructive, um, and it's completely at odds with uh, anything that is sustainable, uh, but that too is called ecotourism. You go along along the bayfront and Cabo, and uh, all of the the people who and the tour guides take you out in boats. They'll say eco guides, eco tours, and and meanwhile, it's um, it's very destructive. Break down for me exactly why. What is it disrupting in that environment? It's, Obviously, boats aren't naturally well, occurring there. But the aspects, so, you know, we're not only talking, we're talking about human safety as well. It's and and part of what we're trying to do is coming up with best practices of how to create encounters with humans and animals that's good for the humans and good for the animals and has an educational component that would be sustainable and that would be environmentally friendly there are other real things about how you treat the animals are they tame are they wild how they've been extracted um, w- how you keep them and and those are uh, kind of the beha- animal behavior component that my research partner Christina Cologne works on. Um, and as, as a communication and marketing strategic communication project, which is what this ecotourism project is, it's how you create a kind of whole cultural package uh, with the animal and human encounter that is environmentally friendly and is uh, educational. There's nothing educational or safe about uh, b- glass bottom boats and, and banana boats, speed boats in the same bay. And certainly, that those sea lions are not going to stay in that bay. So when we talk about sustainability, you know, private entrepreneurs anywhere around the world are beginning to understand that their livelihood is dependent on preserving that resource. Once they destroy that resource, and these things are going very fast, they're not going to have a livelihood anymore. How fast are, are they going? Well, I had just gotten back from Aruba, which is what we talked about, and these things can take decades, but I talked to the Dean of Tourism and Hospitality at the University of Aruba. 
How is that development affecting the coral reefs and some of the other things along the shore? Well, there, there are certain key areas that, that you know, have suffered um, in the sense that the coral is dying. We don't see any fish there anymore. Some species are no longer uh, there swimming along. Uh, my grandfather being a fisherman on the island, uh, I know the ocean firsthand. And as a swimmer on the island, I know the ocean, well, many of the beaches and seas, you know, across uh, on the shores. So we do see a lot of deterioration on the island. He says that he's very disturbed that fish are being fed, which favors some fish over others, that there was so much suntan lotion that it was, it, they, it was filtering down into the water and covering the coral reefs along with the french fries and other kinds of things that were being fed to the fish. So there are some really bad practices. And um, so you lose species, you lose habitat. And he also had a, a more long-term worry about there are various issues with, with the beach and beach, beach loss with the loss of coral reefs and mangroves and other things. When you say the thing about the suntan lotion, in my head I'm thinking, well, that's it. We just, humans should not be allowed to get anywhere near these habitats. But you still think, no, there's a potential for an encounter here without hurting the animals. You still think that's possible, even though the suntan lotion can filter down and cover the coral reef? There are areas that have been very heavily used, um, and you can still take folks out there to a heavy use area and they can have fun. And if a place is, has been, you know, pretty damaged, so keep the mass tourism in those areas. But the more pristine areas and coral reefs, and there are plenty, those need to be protected now. And there needs to be a different model from a mass tourism model uh, and one in which um, there's no holes barred. Uh, there are many ways to ensure um, that humans and animals can interact. And the reason I think it's important, Mary, is that people love animals and it's happening. It's going to be very difficult to stop it. Tourism is the largest industry on the globe. Ecotourism and wanting to go to a wild and natural place uh, is the fastest growing aspect of tourism. So there needs to be a set of regulations or certifications which are being put in place. There are now global regulations for sustainable tourism um, promoted by the UN and other NGO and other conservation organizations worldwide. The problem with those is there's not a lot of looking at the human-animal encounter. That's why we're focused on that. But the Human-animal encounter is an opportunity to teach people about a particular species and a habitat, but also talk to them about larger conservation and global issues that we face on the globe. And it would be a loss of a learning experience by just having a blanket and, and an undoable assertion that people can't go and see animals anymore. That's Robin Anderson on wildlife ecotourism, why it's important to do and do well. Coming up after the break... I heard one woman say to her child that was a little bit scared, Oh, don't be afraid of it, honey. It's just like Lily, your little kitty. And I felt like telling her, No, a dolphin's not like a cat. Using ecotourism to foster environmentalism. Or not. That's in a minute on Fordham Conversations. Trixie will do it, 
You're listening to Fordham Conversations on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm Mary Wilson, and my guest is Robin Anderson. Her latest research project has her focused on wildlife ecotourism as a means for wildlife preservation and environmental education. The work has taken her to resorts in the tropics and in the desert, and at every turn, Anderson is asking the question, is this site truly eco-friendly? You mentioned... um um, regulations. Can you tell me about the Partnership for Global Sustainable Tourism Criteria? Right. That's kind of like the sheriff in this Wild West, you know, arena of tourism. It it is, um, except for it's mostly voluntary, <laughs> and so the sheriff. <laughs> there should be a sheriff sometimes, but um, mostly it's marketing. People really want to do this, and they want to have more meaningful experience as people begin to know more and more about it. If you have certification measures, then people have a way to gauge the choice that they make. Oh, I want to go to a green one, and this has been been certified by the Global Standards, or this has been certified by the Caribbean Certification Green Globe, Um, then, then you're more likely to to go there and expect that this place that you've given your money to and your time is going to be doing something good for the environment. So this Partnership for Global Sustainable Tourism Criteria, this is a coalition of some 30-some organizations, and they dole out credentials to organizations that comply with certain standards of of sustainable ecotourism. And and there are a number of other, oh gosh, around the globe, Mary, there's probably 60 different certification organizations. So what the UN tried to do was try to get, get them centralized, get them to agree on things. It's a new industry, and they're still moving toward that. But I think that these are really important initiatives. You mentioned cost. Is ecotourism pretty much always expensive? Is it possible to do it on the cheap? There are ways to do it that could be cost effective. And the more it is developed as standard practices, the more it doesn't have to be so exclusive. You have really kind of a bifurcation of tourism now. And let's talk about Aruba. One of the biggest beaches um, is Palm Beach. And if you look in the old books about Aruba, it's such a big, long sweep of beach. And I read this one book that said, this is such a beach, it could never be crowded. Well, you should see it now. It is chock-a-block with every kind of mass hotel that you can think of from the Holiday Inn, not to degrade the Holiday Inn there, you know, but um, it's a mass tourism model where lots of people are, are moved through, you know, the resort and with, uh, you know, with groups. I, I saw one and um, everybody was doing um, aerobics in the swimming pool, and, and that is a particular model. Palm Beach in Aruba was overbuilt uh, almost 20 years ago, and there's no turtles that are going to go onto that beach, and and that is a model of tourism that if you want any uh, turtles to be left on the island or around the Caribbean, you have to have lower density, less use of the resources. Um, That doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be more expensive. Are they right now? Some are and some aren't. Mostly I would say they are more expensive. The resort that I went to, uh, Bukuti Beach Resort and Terra Suites, was about comparable. Uh, they only had 104 rooms, but it was comparable to some of the other ones. The other one, like the Holiday Inn I mentioned, the way you can get there for a little cheaper is you buy a package deal to the Caribbean, right? What I like to tell people is off-season, most of these resorts are quite uh, affordable, and 
You know, they're very close to the equator. There's not all that much difference in the temperature year-round. So go on the off-season. I wanted to. I want to know when you when you look back at all the places you visited in the course of this research. What was what was the resort that was the most comfortable for humans, and was it also comfortable for animals? We have some friends, a very well known author who wrote uh, Almost Human, who writes about baboons, who's real in sociology textbooks. Um, Shirley Strum, she has her field research. Uh, really in the in the middle of a wild area in Kenya where she studied baboon troops for two decades now, probably more. And you can go there and you can walk with her, with the baboons, and learn about them. And what it does is she's had about 60 or 70 tourists do that now, so this is something very, very exclusive, not very expensive. But that is a whole immersion in which you actually learn about the habitats of the animals. You're with an expert and a teacher and a researcher who is not going to allow you to, to change their habitat or harm them in any way. And, and so there's everything from that to, to going to a fancy resort in Aruba and uh, being able to watch leatherback turtles come on shore. Here's a clip from one of Anderson's interviews with Aruba conservationists about why they try to educate tourists about the leatherback turtles. Because it takes uh, communities to, uh, to, yeah, to sustain the uh, turtle populations. So it, it takes a community to raise a turtle. Yes, yes, a family to raise a child, but a community to raise a turtle. There was a really interesting article in the New York Times recently that talked about the animal programs that are on, that animals have now taken over our imagination as a new sitcom. So there, there are a few narratives. Animals only eat each other and they want to eat you. Or animals can heal you, dolphins particularly. You can find some of this on the web. There's a lot of very mystical New Age stuff about how they're, they're, they're in the oneness and they're the angels of this and that. And that is another unrealistic model of animals. The biggest thing in our culture that that people are, are 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 already primed for they're coming from the dolphin aquarium the sea world these animals are there to entertain you and we call that an edutainment and we are culturally we wrap various narratives around animals they'll heal you um they'll eat you <laughs> they're there to entertain you what we wanted we've come up with models that try to address the needs and desires of of what people are looking for, but do it in a more sustainable way. So if you want an action-adventure narrative, gosh, it's pretty adventurous to go see a wild animal, but you can do that in sustainable ways. The zoo uh, and other large public organizations, um, zoos and the American Zoological Society has asked that question and been asking for several years. Look, we're bringing people in and we're having them look at animals. How are we now going to translate that into larger conservation goals, a change in attitude and a change in behaviors? That's what we're trying to to figure out ways that we can do that at the point of the encounter in the wild with an animal. And that can be a very powerful experience that can transform people's ways of thinking about the natural world and about conservation. And that's what we're trying to figure out how to do. Have you ever 
kind of looked sidelong at somebody who was on a boat with you or on the beach with you and seen them having that kind of aha moment where they were all of a sudden uh, empathetic towards an animal or... Absolutely. There's uh, many aha moments. Many people who have made real changes and, and, and put forth policy and done really interesting research. There's so many narratives, Mary, about how I, I looked into the animal's eyes. I, I experienced an animal swimming, and I, I knew I had to help that animal. There's a lot of it with whaling. Um, there's an incredible narrative of a guy who dedicated his life to whales after he helped untangle a whale uh, from litter that was pulling her down, and, and she actually let him. There are a lot of, of marine mammal experiences that make people want to preserve uh, marine habitat. When, when you go out on a boat uh, snorkeling, when you're on um, a boat that's watching whales, people are amazed. They actually say things like, you know, oh my God, I've never seen anything like that. They, they say that it changes them. Some people want to touch and that's when it goes too far. You shouldn't touch animals on a on a whale watching tour. Some people get carried away. But by and large, if you tell people that the bacteria on your hands is bad for the animal, they're not going to want to paw them. So it just takes some education, too. Have you ever seen um, what could have been a conversion moment get, get really bungled? Oh, sure. Many missed opportunities. Uh, one notable tour that I was on in, in Cuba where they had a, a big facility right out in the middle of the water. And it was kind of neat to be there, Mary, because not very many Americans get to go to Cuba, but I did because I was doing this research. They need to get better at educating people about the animals. They just put 13 people in willy-nilly with two young dolphins without any instruction. And I heard one woman say to one of uh, to her child that was a little bit scared, Oh, don't be afraid of it, honey. It's just like Lily, your little kitty. And I felt like telling her, no, a dolphin's not like a cat, and it's a different relationship than a pet. So those are the types of missed opportunities that you that you can have. Now, of course, when we finally got out of the water, somebody got bit in that in- encounter. These that were day young, that you were there? That's right. They, they were young dolphins, and uh, they were being asked to tow two people. It it wasn't a good situation. It was really interesting to be in Aruba and talk about their white beaches and their cleanup. Some of the issues, of course, were global that had to do with the ocean and marine litter. Um, so on the windward side, where the litter can come up from uh, on the tides from large cities in South America, you don't have green turtles nesting there. It's just because they can't get on the beach. Um, so marine litter, that's the kind of thing we're talking about. It's a broader, more global conservation issue that at the side of introducing individuals to seeing or watching these animals, you can talk about. And then you might have a very important portion of the population dedicated to doing what they can um, to follow up on conservation issues. The research is way ahead uh, of us in Australia and New Zealand, where lots of studies have shown that people will great then greatly enhance their experience from having educational material, that they're more likely to enjoy themselves, that they're more manageable once you educate them, so you don't have to have uh, really coercive regulation. It's also a management principle. And then 
studies have done been done where you follow them up the next year and actually ask them, what have you been doing for the environment since you were on this this sightseeing tour uh, with the whales? And some, a good portion, certainly a higher portion of those that were given information will still be working toward conservation goals. You, you mentioned all the people who who had these conversion moments. Have you ever heard of somebody who kind of goes, who kind of takes tourists on like a scared straight tour, like takes them past the overused environment and says, look at all the oil slicks or look at all the fish that (laughs) are too fat or something like that? Have you ever heard of anything like that? Sure. I mean, there, absolutely. Um, That gets into an aspect of tourism that we call voluntourism, mostly, where People will go to areas and they'll help clean up the beach, for example. And certainly cleaning up the beach, you see the devastation. Not only the beach, but there are are many ways in which people um, can do hands-on work in sites around the world. Earthwatch takes people out. But also small nonprofits that are uh, can be found on the web will help them do cleanup and help them take care of animals. Robin Anderson, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Mary, it was great to be here. If you're looking to plan an ecotourism trip of your own, I asked Robin Anderson for some helpful websites. She recommended ecotourism.org, travelersphilanthropy.org, and the website for the Wildlife Conservation Society, that's wcs.org. Robin Anderson is the director of the Program in Public Communication in the Department of Public Communication and Media Studies at Fordham University. That's it for Fordham Conversations. You can find archived shows on WFUV.org or subscribe to our podcast. Become a fan of our Facebook page by searching WFUV's Fordham Conversations. Or follow us on Twitter, where we're registered as FOCON, F-O-C-O-N. Robin Shannon will be your host next week. Stay tuned for Cityscape at 730. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Mary Wilson.